Here's what's ahead of us today on Abounding Grace. Jesus is telling them, you know, the issue really isn't the Sabbath, guys. The real issue is, where are you going after you die? Where are you going? Because if you don't get things right, the, the, what's going to be available to you after death, what you have to face, will be judgment. I know that life and death is hard to discuss, but I believe that until we fully understand what happens after we die, that we won't fully live the life that God has for us while we're alive. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Well, I'm sure most of us have at least contemplated it to some degree at one time or another. What happens after we die? As you may know, not everyone agrees on the answer. Some think we just cease to exist, and others believe we reincarnate. But what does the Bible say? That's really where we go for the truth on any question we're wrestling with. And today on Abounding Grace, we'll receive four answers to this thought-provoking question. Here is Pastor Ed Taylor. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, open them to John chapter 5. As we are studying through the Gospel of John, John chapter 5, as I was praying for our time today, I believe the Lord, and, and also responding to some of the questions I got via email this week after last week's study, I really believed that it was the Lord's heart for us to go back to a section and look at it a little more deeper before we move on to the rest of the chapter. So we're going to go back in John chapter 5. We're going to pick up in verse 24. And we're going to ask and answer a very important question. One that really isn't asked all that often, but it should be. And the question is simply this. What happens after we die? What happens after we die? And you know what, guys? I fully appreciate and understand that the topic of life and death is not an easy one to discuss. That when we do talk about such things, many emotions easily come to the surface. And for those of you that have lost a loved one, my heart goes out to you. While I don't understand your pain, I can understand some of your pain. And, and I know it can be hard at times to face the realities of the scriptures. But you know, the Bible talks about tough things. Have you noticed? It doesn't shy away from those things that are very important, especially Jesus as he's ministering the gospel. He's leading us down a path of reality, even with this group here in John chapter 5. You recall in John chapter 5 here that it opened up with Jesus going to the pool of Bethesda, and he was very laser-focused. Around the pool there with the covered porches were those that were lame and disabled and in great pain, desiring desperately to be healed of, of God. They believed that there was a moving, every time there was a moving of the water, they believed that the angels came down. And through that, God would use that to heal one person. The first one into the water was healed. So not only was it a place of great difficulty, it was also a place of great desperation. And Jesus, where did he go? He went to the hurting. He told us himself that 
the sick are the ones that need the physician, not those that are well. And he went to the sick often. Well, with laser focus and precision, he came to this one man laying on this one mat and he asked him, do you want to be made well? And the guy really doesn't answer the question. He says, well, I can't get in. Nobody's here to help me. And it was in that dialogue that Jesus healed him. Now, you recall it was a specific day that Jesus healed him. He healed him on the Sabbath. Not only did he heal him on the Sabbath, but he told him, pick up your mat and leave. And that's exactly what he did. This infuriated the spiritual leaders of the day. They were so upset with Jesus for him doing this on the Sabbath, for telling the man to do something on the Sabbath, because they had created a lot of man-made rules and regulations. Today we call that religion. They had all these man-made traditions about the Sabbath, and they were all flipped out about it. And as Jesus was talking, he says, you know, basically what Jesus said, if I had to summarize our study last time, basically what Jesus was saying to them is say, look, I'm God and I can do whatever I want on the Sabbath. That's really what he was sharing. But more than that, he took this opportunity of great confrontation and he turned it around into an evangelistic open door. I mean, as you look at his answer, he, he talks about, well, well, let's look at it together. In John chapter 5, he, he answers in a way that I don't know that you and I answer so much this way, but we should. He shares the gospel with them in verse 24 when he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. Jesus is always talking about life and death. And what's happening with the religious rulers here really has little to do with the the Sabbath and has little to do with the healing and has little to do with their attitude toward Jesus and has everything to do with the matters of life and death. You could say this. Jesus is telling them, you know, the issue really isn't the Sabbath, guys. The real issue is where are you going after you die? Where are you going? Because if you don't get things right, what's going to be available to you after death, what you have to face will be judgment. I know that life and death is hard to discuss, but I believe that until we fully understand what happens after we die, that we won't fully live the life that God has for us while we're alive. To really understand and grasp this, I mean, the Bible is full of serious subjects, and they're always put in couplets. God will teach us about sin and salvation, and I think the same is true for salvation. Until you understand what a horrible thing sin is and what it's done to wreck life after life and to bring dishonor to the glory and righteousness of God until you fully understand that as you and I are continuing to grow in that understanding you'll begin to appreciate your salvation more but if you kind of think sin is no big deal then you're going to also think salvation is no big deal and on both items you'd be wrong the Bible teaches us about money and motives Now, of course, a Bible study on money is not always that encouraging or that easy because so many today misuse their money. They aren't using it for the glory of God. But then Jesus will go even deeper than I go, oh, let's talk about what you do with the money I entrust to you. But then also he'll talk about the motive of the heart. And that's when things get serious. Because you can look and discern the motives of your heart or where your money goes. The Bible teaches us about fear and failure. The Bible teaches us about life and death. And heaven and hell. You can jot it down. And by the way, we're going to go through a lot of scripture today. We're not going to turn to them all, but I'll read them to you. And you can jot them down in your notes for further study. 
But in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Listen, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God's going to talk about everything pertaining to our life. And one of the things we need to be ready for is death. Because the Bible teaches us that death is inevitable. To everything there is a season, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says. A time for every purpose under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. Paul would preach on the Mars Hill area of Athens. And he would say this in Acts chapter 17 verse 26. He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. It's interesting. As we look at the Bible studies that we've listened to over the years, I mean, you could do this on our website. I did this on our website. As you sort through the studies that are available up there for the 15 years that we have had Bible study here. We've had Sunday services. We have Saturday services. We've had Thursday services. We have Wednesday services. You'll notice with me, I'm sure you'll see it now that you're going to look for it, is that there are many, many, many studies on Christian living, even on our website. (laughs) Because the Bible is all about Christian living. It's all about not just being hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And so many, many Bible studies, every single Bible study that's taught here, not only tells you what the Bible says, but what God requires of you. That's Christian living. But you won't find many and you don't hear many Bible studies on Christian dying or on being ready for death. Now, I look through and we have studied those topics because one of the things that we get to do here at Calvary is we teach through the whole Bible. So when you teach through the whole Bible and work our way through verse by verse, chapter by chapter, you deal with the topics that God deals with. And when we were, one of the big studies that I did on this topic was over in 2 Thessalonians, and I entitled it, Death, Dying, and the Christian. Because you need to be ready for that last breath. You see, the last breath you take here will then lead to your first breath in eternity. We need to be prepared. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it's appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. And you know, guys, as a pastor, one of the privileges that's been entrusted to me and to the men here as pastors is that we get to be a part of and officiate memorial services. And I have to admit, some are much harder than others. Some memorial services are very difficult. Some are easier I think in my own life, certainly having to bury my own son was the worst memorial service I've ever been to. A very difficult one. Even though it was sprinkled with bitter sweetness, knowing for sure in my heart of hearts that my son is in the presence of the Lord and I will be able to be reunited with him when I take my last breath, but it was a tough one. Uh, Another tough one that we're always faced with is really made in a distinguish between two A believer's memorial is very filled with joy among the grief. And you can tell the difference right away. There's a lot of tears and a lot of sadness, but there's also a lot of celebration and happiness mixed together. It's bittersweet. A careful study of the scriptures, you'll notice that the Bible is filled with bittersweet moments. Now, I don't mean the kind of bitterness that you might have toward another person. Just that taste of bitterness. It's just like, ugh. 
I don't like this. I don't want this in my life. And yet, followed by the sweetness of knowing that our hope is in eternity and our hope is in the Lord. And that if you're here today and you're listening in from afar and you have a faith in Jesus Christ, then with that faith comes a solid hope built on the foundation of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some memorials are easier than others. Overseeing a memorial of an unbeliever is very hard. And... And yet I appreciate them inviting us into their lives. It's some of the only times that people will call a church is when they have a need like this in their life. And so the room is filled with people that need to hear the gospel. And one of the best places and one of the best privileges I have is to preach the gospel at a memorial service. While on the minds of people are the topics of life, death, and eternity. Jesus is speaking of life and death here, heaven and hell, judgment, condemnation, hope and heaven. The scene is interesting because you would think that with the people coming to him, he would just rebuke them, but he doesn't. He shares with them candidly the reality of life and death and exhorts them to get right, to make sure that you know, that you know, that you know that after you die, your salvation with God is secure. Now, before we get into the substance of our text today, let's ask another question. And that's simply this. Why do we die in the first place? Now, the answer is very easy. We die because of sin. But that's not God's heart. God's heart was not for death to enter in. When God created a literal man, Adam, and a literal woman, Eve, and put them in a literal place, the Garden of Eden, it was God's heart and desire to have unending, uninterrupted fellowship, untouched and untainted by sin with Adam and Eve and, and their children and grandchildren and great grand forever. That was the will of God. That was his intent. And he laid out this perfect scenario with the admonition, everything you can have. Not this. Setting up for Adam and Eve the ability. You know, they lived in communion with God. We don't know how long, but for a long period of time. It's not like the, the episodes where from one page to the next, you've got creation and then the sin. They lived in this kind. Of, can you imagine living in perfect unity, untouched and tainted by sin with God in a perfect environment? We don't know anything of that. We only get tastes of it. We just get hints of it. But they had it until... They disobeyed. And when they disobeyed, the Bible calls that sin, and that sin plunged them and all of humanity after them in sin. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. We see that both in the scriptures and every memorial service that we ever attend. We recognize that that is a truth of God that cannot be denied. A lot of people deny a lot of things, But God has made things abundantly clear. And one thing he's made clear, the wages of sin is death. Now, the question is also raised when we talk about this is, wait a minute. Why do I have to pay the price for what Adam did? That doesn't seem fair. I mean, I'm not Adam. And if I was in the garden, I don't think I would have ate it. Whatever. (laughs) Whatever. We all would have walked down that path eventually, I'm sure. But why? Well, the Bible tells us very clearly that Adam, through his sin, passed sin on to every human being. 
Now, let's look at it in a real practical way. There's a spiritual part to that. We studied that in depth when we were in Romans. But let's look at the practical part for a second. You've got Adam, a sinful man, and you have his wife Eve, a sinful woman. They come together and create a baby, Cain and Abel, we know. They, they have children. And so you've got one sinner plus one sinner equals baby sinner. That's all you can have. You can't create something that you're not. You can only create that which is what you and For every generation, sin has been passed down by birth. And through that sin, now, we sin because we're sinners. And we're sinners because we sin. Either choose each, whichever one you like. They both apply in our lives. We sin because we're sinners. We're sinners because we sin. Now, unless you just dismiss this as if it doesn't apply to you, let's walk down a path together and just say, if you examine your life today, because you might be looking, you might be saying today, you might be responding. And by the way, if you're visiting today, you picked a great day to come because we're talking about things nobody ever likes to talk about. Life, death, and sin, and resurrection, and salvation. So welcome to Calvary Chapel. Because the reality of life is that you need to give account for your life. And today is the day of salvation. Today is the day, not tomorrow. You're not here by accident. God has drawn you here. Yes, to really consider the reality. Now, for many of us, we are strong and secure. We know we have a faith in Jesus Christ. And we know that we know we know where we're going to be after we die. But I do know those that are listening in, those that are here, those that might even be downstairs, aren't so sure. And it would be our desire for you to leave today, sure, absolutely confident that you are right with a God who loves you and created you. But lest you think you haven't been touched by sin, consider this. If you were just to examine your life for the years you've been on the earth, can you find anywhere at any time a time when you've made a mistake? And you just kind of go through and, and, and you, you look through and you go, well, maybe I did when I was five and maybe I did when I was 10. Maybe I did yesterday. And, and you, some of you are going, well, I've already examined my life, Pastor, and, and I, I can't find one mistake. Well, that's a mistake right there. You missed it somewhere because we all are, well, you know, we've all made mistakes. We've all faced imperfections. We all can admit that we're not perfect. And if you're with me and you'd be willing to admit that you've made a mistake or that you are imperfect, then you would also admit what the Bible says because the Bible calls mistakes sin. The Bible calls imperfections sin. And not only is it just some little mistake that you can kind of recover from, but the Bible says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter where you're at on the scale. The pain and penalty of sin is always death. And because we've all sinned, Sure, we call it a mistake, we call it a stumble. I, I, I'll meet you where you're at and what you call it. Just understand what the Bible calls it. The Bible calls it sin. And you and I are going to have to face a reality before God for our sin. So we die because of sin. That's why it exists. Hey, you can feel that in your own body. Your own body is not getting better and better, is it? If it is, let me know. What's the secret? Get an infomercial. Tell us. It's not getting better and better. It's getting more wrinkled and making noises that it wasn't making 10 years ago and falling apart. And, uh, you know, I was talking to a brother uh, right before service, first service, and he has a cane. And I go, I haven't seen you with a cane before. And he says, yeah, my knee's all messed up. And, and I said, what's wrong? He said, I don't know what's wrong, but we sort of agreed we know what's wrong. He's not getting younger. I'm not getting younger. 
and you're not getting younger. The Bible says that. Paul would say it this way, jot it down. He'd say this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, therefore we don't lose hearts even though our outward man is perishing. The inward man is being renewed day by day. We see evidence of this all around. So let's ask the question, what happens after we die? Let me give you four answers. We'll look at them today before we take communion. If you want to jot them down, we're going to look at them individually. Number one, death is not the end of a person's existence. Death is not the end of a person's existence. Number two, there is a final judgment after death. There is a final judgment after we die. Number three, there are two forms of existence beyond the grave. Two forms of existence beyond the grave. And then finally, number four, what happens after we die depends on what we do with Jesus while we're alive. Very important. What happens after we die has everything to do with what you did with Jesus while you were alive. And this is what Jesus shares with us in John chapter 5, verse 25. He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Number one, death is not the end. How do we know that? Well, there's coming a time when people are going to hear and in order to hear, you have to be alive. To have ears to hear, your existence is eternal. You don't just cease to exist. It's not the end of your existence. Death is not the end. You and I continue to exist. We have an eternal, we are eternal creations. And there's evidence of this here, those that hear. In another place in the Bible, the Bible, Jesus says very clearly, God is the God of the living not the dead. Jesus shares a story of a man by the name of Lazarus, true story, and a rich man in a place known as Hades. What are they doing? They're alive considering their life. One is regretful and wants to see his brother saved. The other is enjoying the presence of Abraham's bosom, enjoying that peace of that pre-heaven existence that they have waiting for the coming Messiah. That's a different Bible study. You can pick it up on the web to see it as it's developed, that they're fully alive after death. They have ears to hear. Now, it's important for us to define our terms before we move on, because when we speak of death, there's actually two types of death. We need to distinguish them. There is physical death, and there is spiritual death. The word death can be simply defined as separation. This is very evident in the human realm. It's very evident physical death is a separation of the spirit and the soul from the body. Immediately as I'm typing this out, I recalled the many, many days and weeks that we spent at our son's bedside crying out to God for him to be alive. We'd grab his warm hand and we'd lay our hands upon him and we would be at the bedside with him and it was abundantly evident that he was fully alive. Very clear. Then, unfortunately, when we got the knock on the door from our friend Henry to announce to us that Eddie had graduated and gone home to be with the Lord, we rushed down to the hospice to pay our last respects. And and when we touched that same warm hand, just hour, we were just there an hour earlier, it was very clear that Eddie had gone home to be with the Lord. It's very clear. Death is a separation. Physical death is a separation from your spirit, your soul and spirit from your body. But what about spiritual death? 
Well, Pastor Ed Taylor will tackle that question next time on Abounding Grace as our study of John's gospel continues. If you joined us late or would just like to give this a second listen, go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. And have you had a chance to download our app? This is another great way to take in the teaching of God's Word and download it for free today by searching for Calvary Church or Ed Taylor. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. Even just a quick hello telling us the station you listen to means a lot. Maybe you didn't realize it, but Pastor Ed reads them. So let us know how we can pray for you, too. You can email us through the website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And please remember that Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. We look to the Lord for provision. When you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Pastor Ed Taylor's book, God's Help for the Troubled Heart. Now, this is a must-read for anyone who has a heavy heart or is greatly discouraged. It's a collection of truthful reminders of God's help for your troubled heart. While we all share stories of pain, If we're not careful, we can find ourselves refusing to accept and receive the healing that Jesus readily gives. Join Pastor Ed as he steps into our pain and shows us how to live a life full of faith even as we go through painful trials. To order a copy today, call 877-30-GRACE. We ask for a donation of $25 or more. That's 877-30-GRACE. And be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from the book of John. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.